Welcome to your found family podcast where we don't just have a heart to heart, we connect soul to soul. I'm your host, Lizzie, a certified coaching practitioner who found family outside of blood family. In our found family, you are accepted and assured that you are not alone. Subscribe and tune in for educational and empowering soul chats with women from all over the world, talking about well-being, personal growth and development, and mental and emotional health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Found Family. I'm super excited to have a very special guest with me today, Tammy. We are going to be talking about breaking the cycle of generational dysfunction. Tammy is the author of The Stuck Stop Here, How I Broke the Cycle of Generational Dysfunction, One Aha Moment at a Time. Tammy is an adult child of narcissistic parents on a healing journey. For the last 100 plus years, Tammy's family lived lives filled with rage, blame, greed, divorce, toxic selfishness, shame, and lies while pretending everything was fine. The emotionally toxic ties between her and her parents and their parents caused her to live a false life. It wasn't until recently that she could not answer the question, who am I? She navigated recklessly through a long and messy terrain in an effort to disentangle herself from the web of fear, obligation, and guilt. It was a painful, sometimes unbearable process of separation that nearly ended in tragedy on a dark winter night in 2014. Tammy wanted to break the cycle. She knew it had to end here with her. Her book tells her story, which she hopes is relatable and healing. Tammy, what an incredible, incredible story. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so honored to have you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited uh, to, you know, share our stories. I've been listening to your podcasts, and they're fantastic. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. You have such a powerful story, and I really look forward to sharing your message with others. And I do feel, first and foremost, that it is definitely a relatable and healing story. And, you know, as someone who also grew up with a narcissistic parent who also had a cycle of generational dysfunction, I'm pretty confident that this message is definitely going to resonate. So to learn a little bit more, I would love to ask if there was a specific moment in time or a specific event that helped you realize that you were even tangled in the first place in a dysfunctional genera- uh, generational cycle? So uh, there are two answers. You know, there was one you know, particular event that really catapulted me onto the healing journey. But the ways that I was resilient prior to that event uh, against you know, the generational function and, the, you know, the toxic beliefs are being rammed down my throat. Uh, prior to that, I was rebelling in all the wrong ways. Um, and that's mm. one of the things I discovered on my healing journey um, is, you know, rebelling can be self-defeating um, and not productive. And um, uh, that's where, you know, there's a lack of authenticity. If you're doing something because it merges your soul and it works for you, that's great. If you're doing something because A, it's expected of you, or B, because you know it will piss somebody else off, somebody else is in control, not you. Right. So prior, wow. yeah, so 
prior to that event, that's I was in a different way, and it was very unhealthy, very toxic, totally counterproductive. Um, and I ended up um, getting into myself, getting myself into a business situation uh, because I thought I had no choice. Mm. Um, and it was it was an egotistical move uh, to get into this business situation, and um, I ended up partnering with a very bad person. Mm. And um, without going into too much detail in that, uh, because that you know that's only a small part of the story, that sent me to a new low. It was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. Um, where I, there was a point where I just thought my family was going to be better off without me, uh, because I was living as two people. I was, I played one, um, you know, super normal role, super efficient role for them. And then behind all that was, uh, chronic pain, chronic emotional pain. And having made this, you know, very poor decision was humiliating. And it was more than I could take. So, um, so that going back to the one event, you know, there was this one day where it was close, you know. And I know there's a difference between actually attempting and and ideation. Um, and I, you know, I hovered, and then I somehow, you know, probably for my kids, I said, okay. I'm, um, this is not how my story is going mm-hmm. And so did you see that the cycle was happening more so with yourself or were there others who were sort of exemplifying the same type of cycle? Uh, great question. No, my, my parents did my kids very differently. So there was um, no issue with them. The issue was me not confronting, you know, all the pain I was in mm-hmm. and committing several consecutive uh, self-defeating rebellious acts. Mm. Um, and it was the very next day, you know, the, that day I, you know, I decided to continue living. I started to do research. Mm-hmm. And that's once you, you know, once you start Googling, which used to be yeah. called searching. <laughs> so once <laughs> you start Googling, you start to uncover a lot of information. And I stumbled across a video by a life coach by the name of uh, Lisa Romano. Mm-hmm. And she had a video about narcissistic mothers. Mm-hmm. And that was the first, and it was at that moment that I realized you know, that the problem wasn't me. Mm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I was reacting to a problem much bigger than myself. Wow. And yeah. that yeah, that opened up the subject. That actually was is is answering my, my next question in terms of when and how did you first learn that your parents are narcissistic? And I think that Googling and searching one hundred percent, you know, I, I love how you said really searching because it is your you're seeking to learn more to understand having had that video as the bridge between understanding what it was that you were going through 
the thoughts you were having, the actions that you were taking. I'm sure in that moment of, okay, this is what a narcissistic parent looks like, gave you the the understanding. And I know for myself personally that when I learn things in general and have a deeper understanding of the who, what, where, when, and why, there is so much healing. And even in those moments, you feel a sense of relief because you understand. Exactly. I felt about a huge sense of relief because it was the first time in my life that I said, wait a minute, maybe there is nothing wrong with me. Mm. Now, did you previously know what narcissistic personality disorder was or what a narcissist was? Nope. Nope. And, you know, only to the effect where, you know, a lot of people think it's somebody who is vain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably what I would have, you know, that's probably the, the knowledge that I have of it. And, you know, it is not, you know, I equate it to, uh, um, in a, in a, I'm trying to be, I want to be politically correct in a, uh, medical sense is, you know, you say, you know, cancer, well, what kind of cancer, how bad for cancer? I think narcissism is a, you know, uh, a spiritual cancer. Mm. That's how I see it. Wow. And and that's you know, that's when I realized narcissism is not about vain or making sure you look, you know, pretty. It's way more than that. Right. And what's what's most uh, vicious about it is a lot of them have uh, a lot of admirers, you know, yeah. in, in a superficial sense outside the home. And what thinking my whole life there was something wrong with me because you know my mother um, and my dad, my dad's my sister, um, were um, so adored by uh, socially and community. Mm-hmm. So I would think, well, what's wrong with me? Right. And I was so tired of thinking what's wrong with me or pretending I didn't think everything was wrong with me. Wow. Yeah, that that really, really resonates with me as well, because I think that when it comes to certain terms, they're almost turned into cliches. And I think that we as people use words, not willy nilly, but sometimes there is a stigma around it, because even with OCD, for example, I, you know, I didn't really understand that obsessive compulsive disorder goes way beyond the desire or the, you know, compulsion, like want everything to be clean. And I think that for most of our society, you know, it's almost praised. It's like, wow, you're so OCD. Your desk is so nice. You keep your room so clean. And it's like, for those who suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder, because now I call out the disorder instead of saying it OCD, because it really is a disorder. It is disruptive. It, you know, enables people from doing certain things. The amount of panic attacks I suffered from as a kid, it kept me from, you know, going out and doing things in, in, you know, in my social everyday life. And it's debilitating. And with narcissism, I agree completely. It's this, you know, this stigma that, oh, a narcissist just like, you know, yes, there is a level of being vain and you know maybe you kind of equate a narcissist with like 
looking at themselves in the mirror and trying to just, as you said, like look pretty. But what I have found to be true, um, as you know, for me personally, I have a narcissistic mother. Um, my dad is sort of like the scapegoat slash the person who enables it, which, you know, is a whole other topic. Um, but what yep. I have found to be true for those listening who might not yet know, like the qualities or the warning signs of a narcissist, I have found a few things to be true and, and please share other things that you also have found, or if you agree with these, but I would say the top, the top few are, you know, the need of trying to control you and everything around them, manipulation, um, thinking that they're God's gift to this planet, the, you know, my way or the highway, um, making you feel like you're the crazy one and not giving you the permission to be yourself. Check, 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 check. <laughs> right? It's wild because I definitely did not know what what narcissistic personality disorder was. And as in a similar way to your 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 journey in, in searching for answers, I found that as the byproduct of a narcissist, all of my, you know, all the things that I had in my life, the self-doubt, the lack of self-confidence, the lack of self-awareness, really, I didn't have the ability to form an opinion about something. And I recall even a kid, if I would tell my mom, hey, I'm feeling this way, there were times where she would literally say, you think you're feeling that way, but really what you're feeling is this, and insert her opinion. And so I was constantly seeking approval at all times because I thought that that was what I needed. And now I'm like, wow, <laughs> this was a direct reflection of the programming that I had downloaded into me at, you know, maybe even as early as like four years old. It was like, you know, very, very young. And when you're growing up in that environment and you don't even know any better, you almost don't even think to question it because as you said, you feel like it's your fault. Never questioned it. You know, it's funny. I had a group of friends when I went off to college, um, and my mother didn't, you know, approve them um, for whatever reason. I, she, you know, honestly, she didn't really like me having a life outside of her. But, mm. um, you know, um, I think she thought herself the sun and the planets revolved around her. Um, so, and I remember them sort of making a comment and I, I, in a way I got angry at them. Hmm. Looking back, they were hundred percent right. Wow. Yeah. They I have right. to say, and I, I had no idea. That, that resonates with me too, because my family from the outside looking in used to call it out. And even I was told by friends, like, Lizzie, do you realize that you are not your mother's clone? You are your mother's daughter. And using those types of words, again, didn't even occur to me that it was so evident that she was trying to clone me. And now I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is deep for someone. I heard that from someone in middle school, like to think that there was an awareness from that friend of mine to have said something like that. Because I agree in a similar way, my mom made me feel as though I couldn't have a life outside of her. Right, and that's crushing, you know, uh, because then you're not willing to experiment or explore or, um, you know, find out 
what, what you want, what, what you like, which is directly relates to a lot of these bad decisions. Uh, Absolutely. Particularly career, I would say career focus that I made. Mm. Um, so, and it, it happens to too many people. Right. And now as the title of your book says, How I Broke the Cycle of Generational Dysfunction, One Aha Moment at a Time, what was your first aha moment? Well, it was definitely that video um, mm. about narcissistic mothers. And then when you start pursuing subjects in more detail, um, you start to realize how damaged. And I started to realize how damaged I was and why I was damaged and the source of all that. And then... And then I read a book by Mark Wolin uh, called It Didn't Start With You. And he talks about, you know, uh, generational trauma. And that's when I started going back uh, through my family history as to, you know, what led to all this, what led to my breakdown, and what role did I, you know, play in getting to such an awful place. And... I can see, I now understand how narcissists are created. I now understand why, you know, my parents turned out the way they did um, and how they passed that burden on. Mm. I just, I just couldn't, I didn't want any part of it anymore. And, you know, um, I was always very different from my family from the time that I was little and they tried to squash that. Mm. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, it actually doesn't matter. The fact is, you know, anything that made me unique or special was, you know, put out like a fire. Mm. Wow. I, I I have to tell you, I, I just got this rush of goosebumps as you said that last part because... Yeah. That word uniqueness and that word special, as an adult, I celebrate uniqueness and specialness in people tenfold because of feeling in a similar way unable to express either of those. And there were so many moments where I remember also feeling very different from my family and wanting to express myself and not even having the ability to speak of certain things. And one specific thing that now I, I just, I'm feeling very led to share that I, just sort of this memory came back to me, as you said, what you said, when I was probably in high school, you know, starting to express interests and like wanting to date and all of that. I remember specifically hearing my mom tell me not to show someone who I am until after they fall in love with me. So the way that I, and you know, I feel like almost bad sharing it because, you know, it, it was like such a hurtful thing that I, I remember being in such struggles when I was learning about narcissism and, and feeling badly like bringing these things up because I didn't want to make my mom seem like, you know, this person who was just like keeping my head down in a pillow and like not letting me talk. But in those moments 
of hearing things like that, the way I interpreted it was don't be yourself. Don't even bother showing someone who you really are because I'm a talker. You know, there are certain like quirks about me that I now love about myself and felt like in that moment being told like, oh, you're starting to express interest in dating. Like, that's great. But you know what? Do, do me a favor and do yourself a favor. Don't actually show that person anything about yourself until they fall in love with you first. And I just think that that is probably the worst advice I've ever received. And what a backwards way of thinking, because, you know, first of all, how can you even fall in love with someone if, you know, you're not being yourself? Because really what that is teaching is, oh, put on this mask and have this person fall in love with this like fake version of you or this elevated version of you in my eyes. And then unleash the beast you know when it's like that is the recipe for disaster in so many ways and also like it's almost like I felt like there was this beast inside me I felt like there was this part of me that I couldn't share because it wasn't going to be accepted and that word acceptance was like a big word that I needed to work on for a very long time how sad is it and that's um that narcissists they actually don't believe in love and they don't know how to love. And this is based on, you know, my research and my experiences. So, you know, listeners can take it for whatever it's worth. The, um, there's no sincerity. You know, um, you know, a family relationship or a partnership of any kind, you know, a relationship of any kind is based on give and take and reciprocity. Narcissist, there isn't that. It's about, you know, 24-7, you know, ad, you know adoration and admiration. And they are in love with what the mask does, you know, how the mask controls the people around them. That's the only love. A lot of people say, that's terrible. They, mothers always love their kids. My love to say bullshit. Mm-hmm. It, it's not true. They don't. Yeah, um, there's like a hidden agenda. That, that's how I was feeling as a kid. That's the energy I picked yeah. up. was like, it was all for the purpose of, her benefit and what she wanted, not what I genuinely wanted. So I hear you on that. Yes, it's true. And, and accurate and sad. Right. Very, very sad. And it is, it is at times hard to, um, to talk about because, you know, there was also, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure if, if you experienced something similar, but when I was attempting to bring up things, Again, not knowing anything about narcissism, but bringing up things like, well, why don't you let me do this? Or why can't I talk to you about this? There was always this like victim card and then it would immediately turn on me. Well, how could you say that? I love you so much and how much I do for you. Look at how much I've given you. Look at how, you know, look at, look at, look at. And, and that would make me feel guilty, would make me feel shamed, would make me feel like a horrible daughter. And then I would feel honestly like a piece of shit like I would literally feel so down that I would I learned not to bring certain things up because I was trying to be empathetic and sympathetic and looking at her and being like she's right she gave me a good life she gave me the ability to you know go to dance and she helped me with this and I would recall like things that were like you know seemingly positive but then I would think but I didn't want to go to this and I didn't want this like that's what she wanted 
but, but she's a good mom. She loves me. She means well, you know, and it was just this constant battle with like, I feel trapped and suffocated, but she's telling me that she's doing this because she loves me. So what is it? Which one is it? No, that's the, you know, words over action. You know, um, they say one thing and behave another. Can, what, what does that do to, uh, well, we're talking about women. What does that do to younger? Right. That's, and now we got just horrible. Right. It, it really, it really is. And as you said before, whether it was conscious or unconscious, it is what it is and it doesn't matter because the damage was done. And, you know, that, that actually leads into the next question, which is what helps you to manage and or cope with all of this? You were going through it. There's several things. And that's a great question. Um, continued reading. Uh, the more knowledge that I had or could accumulate, uh, the more clarity I could ha- get as to why I ended up here and where I can go to improve. Um, I'm a big fan of yoga. I'm a big fan of meditation. Um, I have a lifelong passion for music, uh, but I didn't pursue it in the way I, I probably should have. It is now a hobby for me, which is really helpful. Um, so those are all things that I would say, you know, retraining my brain to, to, to not be, you know, the hyper-vigilant, hyper-anxious person that I was. Um, and that was, you know, caused by all the things that you talked about, words being the opposite of behavior. Um, never, uh, I always got the worst advice uh, from my parents, the worst. Mm. Um, and I, you know, there was a lot of, I would say, self-sabotage because of it. Um, and uh, so, and then the more I read, the more I would write. So it was like read, write, yoga, meditate, music, read. And it was just this continuous positive cycle. Hmm. I also learned how to spend time alone um, and like being alone. Uh, because it was becoming less addicted to, you know, external sources of validation. Wow. Being alone actually felt nice. Wow. Um, so, and this was, not a, this was not an overnight process. It was not. It was, you know, it's been five years, uh, but I'm on a very clear, you know, path to healing. And I see, you know, healing from emotional abuse and emotional neglect. Similar to that, again, trying to be politically correct, as getting over a drug addiction and alcohol addiction in the, in the sense that it is um, it was an automatic, instinctual addiction to those bad behaviors and those survival strategies. And the only way to heal from that is to keep learning new ones and reinforce the new strategies you're learning. So... Um, I'm hoping that I don't offend anybody with that analogy, but that's really to me what it is, is toxic coping strategies as a result of a toxic childhood are an addiction in and of itself, and you need to break free from that. And that is constant evolution, constant uh, learning and unlearning, and it never stops. Wow. I got another wave, Tammy. Another wave of goosebumps. Right. I'm listening. I love the waves. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Addiction to validation. That, yeah. that resonates with me so much because I never knew why all I ever wanted was to be this like perfect person. I mean, again, the, the word perfectionism. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I, I like it's really the word perfectionism. Again, there is this like, oh, you know, you're trying to strive for success. You're trying to. And it's like, yes, but a lot of the times it's for the wrong reason. I was addicted in a very similar way as what you just shared to this validation to outside forces. And I was so so blinded to the reasoning, the root cause, all I knew, and I've learned in my research as well, that a lot of, um, you know, side effects, if you will, of, of being a byproduct of a narcissist is obsessed with grades, constantly trying to strive for success in school, never needs to be grounded, was never needed to be told what to do, because there's this constant validation that you are looking for from the narcissist and the truth of the matter, as sad as it is to admit this, there is no such thing as getting the approval because it's never going to be good enough for them. It's never going to be because you are like seen, especially for me, I was the golden child. So I was the, um, and again, when I have read articles in my research about the golden child, it gave me so much, like all of the hairs on my arms stuck up because I was like, was there a camera on my childhood? Was this article written about my life? Like, it's, it's absolutely, you know, like groundbreaking revolution that I had when I, when I learned this. And for me, actually, I learned this like maybe a month and a half, two months ago. So I'm, I'm still in that phase of like, wow, I can't believe this. And, and in a similar way of coping, you know, I, I also was using writing and, and um, you know, journaling as, as my way to cope. I have like six diaries from when I was young and it was just like what I call like just word vomiting on the page because there was so much that I needed to get out of my head and felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it because again, my dad was enabling it. So I couldn't talk to my parents. I felt disconnected from my brother because, you know, of things I was just going through at the time. And it was just, it was a very lonely very hard journey and in a very similar way as what you shared. And I, I'm so grateful that you, that you shared this. It was so hard to be alone. I hated being with myself because I also didn't know how to. And I remember using everything as an excuse to not be alone. And yoga and meditation was laughable to me because I thought, how in the world can someone stay with themselves for more than two minutes? Like, how do you even want to hear your thoughts? Because mine were all negative and they were self-loathing and, you know, like you need to do better, you need to do better. And it, it is exhausting. I mean, it, it's a very lonely, exhausting road to be driving on. It is. And I, I've been there, you know, and I'm gonna, it's when people talk about that, you know, I can picture being there. You know, when, when you are raised with all those confusing, toxic messages, I've spent um, my whole life, you know, pushing away what I don't want instead of pulling myself toward what I do want. Mm. And that kind of, you know, resistance is why I couldn't be alone with myself. Because if I wasn't pushing at something, whether I was pushing away negative thoughts 
or pushing away those feelings of you know feeling negative. I mean, another term I I like to use is approval junkie, um, destination addict. You know, those other two terms, <laughs> you know, um, that I like to toss around because that's what it was. You know, I was I was very into fitness for a while, and I had the best figure, and I ran road races, and I had to come in the top ten. I did sprints, I and blah 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 blah, and uh, it was just this this constant drive. You know, I would never sit and just sit around listening to music and get on my bike and train for the next race. And uh, so I was spiritually and physically tired of proving myself. Mm-hmm. And now, have you gone no contact or are you still in contact? Question. I'm at no contact. Lucky for me, they moved to another state. Um, so that makes it a lot easier. Um, so I am, you know, they have a nice relationship, pleasant relationship with my kids. And that's fine. I, you know, I see them, you know, 10 days a year. That's enough. Mm-hmm. And I was going to keep it that way. I mean, I like it. I don't care. It's mm-hmm. what's best for me. Right. Um, I used to I used to always feel obligated and guilted, and I got a call, I got to I got a dinner, I got to do this, I got to do that, and I hate spending time with them. Mm-hmm. I get zero pleasure out of it. It actually makes my skin crawl mm-hmm. because they're so toxic and so inauthentic. I, I can't. That's I would call it a quote unquote downside to the healing journey. Is that it's very hard to be around people who are not real, angry, negative, um, and just not on the same page as you. That's very challenging, and that includes my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's, it, it's almost like you're, 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 you're sucking the joy out of this moment. <laughs> and I don't want that. I've already been through that. Kind of done. Right. So, that's, um, so I have strict low contact, and I've never been happier. That's amazing. Yeah, I have to say in a similar way, both of my parents moved to another state, which does make it a lot easier. I will say Yay for that. You. <laughs> thank you. It 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 has made Now, I've actually been living in a different state from them since uh it's been at least um let's see, I moved to Brooklyn uh 4 years ago, but I moved out after college, so I was living with them from, you know, zero to 18. And then the four years that I was in college, I was still under the, you know, under the spell. Um, It wasn't until, and I would say, you know what, I was even under the spell for two years after. And I wrote a note to myself. So I have this new segment on Found Family that's called Notes to Self. And I essentially, I I started writing. Oh, I listened to one of those. That was great. Oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so one of my notes to self, which I actually haven't had a chance to talk about yet in like an episode, but one of them was literally written in April 2016. And I said, I am no longer caring what my mother's opinion is of me. And I broke myself free from the spell that day. And the, the best like metaphor analogy, like visual that I can ever give is, and this just actually now just came to me. Um, there's a movie, um, called Enchanted with the girl from, um, oh, Anne Hathaway, the girl from, um, the 
princess uh, died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yep. So in one scene, because she was put under that spell where she always had to be obedient, and the way that she broke the spell was that she looked at herself in the mirror and said, you are free. So in other words, she was the key to free herself. And in that moment, it was like I gave myself the permission. There was like something. I remember exactly where we were. We were driving to meet family, and we stopped at McDonald's to get some food, and we were bickering and fighting the whole way there. And it got to a point where I was so sick and tired of, like, listening to, as you said, like, the negativity just sucking joy out of, like, that moment. And I got out of the car, and I looked at my mom, and I was like, you know what? I'm done. And and she didn't, like, know what I meant in that moment, but I wrote that note to myself, and I was like, I no longer care what my mother thinks about me because I I need to free myself. And it was that, like, Ella enchanted moment where I was like, you know what? you are the key to stopping this from happening. And so, you know, when I moved to Brooklyn, which, which ended up being like maybe three, three years later or something, or no, 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 no. It might've actually been that, that maybe that following year or that year, actually, now that I think about it, cause it was 2016. Yeah. Wow. So that was that moment where I was like, all right, I need to, now I need to leave Brooklyn. I mean, I, I need to leave Connecticut and move to Brooklyn and moving to Brooklyn was the best thing the best decision that I ever made for myself. And it was the most liberating. So it's, it's important. And I haven't gone, you know, no contact in the sense of like, I, you know, I still speak to her. I was just visiting, you know, in, um, in Florida with my family for Thanksgiving and, you know, she was there and it made me realize again, like all the narcissistic personality traits. Um, So for me, it's more of a coping and managing as opposed to going no contact, but I will say that what helped is setting boundaries with her. She used to text me all the time. Where are you? What are you doing? You know, text me when you get home. Just, I felt like that control was still there. And I had the assistance of some family members to be like, you need to back off. Like she's old enough. You, not even that, like you need to stop doing what you're doing. Cause it's, it's, it's ha- causing so much more harm than good. Um, I feel like I'm able to better cope and manage with setting these boundaries because surprisingly, it worked. Now, maybe I'm one of the lucky ones who, you know, is able to still be in contact and have boundaries. But when we're in person, hanging out, that's when it's challenging. <laughs> it, it, it really is. Um, you know, my uh, one of the worst traits of um, my mom is she she has to she wants to know like everything, yep. like almost bizarre. And um, and she'll like ask me about people that I haven't seen in ten years. Wow! Like when we run out of things to say, she'll she'll say, "Oh, we talk to them, we see them," and it's like, and I always felt like, well, I feel so guilty. She wants to know everything about my life. How many mothers don't care about what goes on in the kid's life? But it's it is challenging, excruciatingly challenging to answer 40 million questions to fill whatever is that's, you know, empty or to make her feel like she's in control, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that, that's where it gets brutal uh, for me. Right. Uh, I just forget what I did today is not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I went to work. I went, I did yoga and I threw a load of laundry and I can't give you any more information than that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> oh, my 
God. And and I know that we've we've kind of been talking about this, but just to um, help sort of consolidate, how did you begin breaking the cycle? What what small steps were taken, or or what were bigger steps, if if any, that were taken? Yeah, um, I'll answer the question as the you know internal you know internally what I did is I started the biggest thing was starting to depersonalize the experiences I was having in my life mm. because you know when you are raised you know when I'm being raised with a narcissistic mother uh, you are hyper vigilant you are always scanning. Um, the situation to see if everything is safe. That's just a, wow. it's an automatic thing. Um, and it may not even be narcissistic, but toxic parents or volatile, you know, verbally abusive parents. So, you know, you're raised to automatically scan the room and scan your life for threats. So that's what I used to do. And that was one of the first things I saw is Honestly, what's going on outside of me that I can't control has nothing to do with me. Now, if somebody's in a bad mood or somebody's rude um, or whatever it is, or somebody, you know, has a guilt trip or jealous about something, whatever that is, it's your problem. Mm-hmm. It's not my problem. I can't control what you're saying. You know, and, and when and I hear people, these particularly negative people saying, well, they hurt my feelings. What do they do? Take the feeling outside of your brain, stomp on it, and put it back in? No. Oh. They, you gave them that power. They're mm. just being themselves. If they're being rude or they're trying to make you feel guilty or make you feel bad, you don't have to accept that. That's, wow. that's your choice. That was something that I, that was a huge thing uh, for me, is I, I just stopped caring so much about what was going on outside of me. I only cared about what was going on inside. Um, wow. And also, you know, um, I've explained to my children who are, you know, um, in their early 20s, um, you know, what it was like and uh, how I do things different. And, um, you know, fortunately I married someone who is nothing like my family. I don't know how I ever was going to do that. But um, I did. So, Parenting them the way I wasn't parented is very healing, mm. too. Um, and that makes a huge difference uh, in my, Absolutely. you know, day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, so, and then as I get, you know, as I get more and more into, you know, I call it the yoga lifestyle, the meditation lifestyle, and people are looking for more peaceful and relaxed. That works for me. Mm-hmm. That works for me. So, you know, well, I think, you know, surrounding yourself with, with with people that, and, you know, doing experiences and people that make you feel better mm-hmm. and calm and more relaxed is another great step because, um, you know, I, I'm continuing to train to look at things differently and see things for what they really are mm-hmm. and um, minimize those unrealistic expectations that I can control the outcome of everything just so I can feel safe. You know, you, you can't control everything. And I accept uncertainty mm. uh, with a little more grace than I used to. Wow. Wow. That, 
that's very, very powerful. Those are all um, incredibly, incredibly, um, you know, moving and transformative steps that, again, are, are resonating with me right now. And I think that, you know, as as we're sort of coming to a close, I think that taking what you just shared about um, surrounding yourself with people who are, you know, positive and uplifting, you know, the two main missions of this podcast is to highlight the resilience and help others overcome and to also help spread awareness that you are not alone. You know, for those listening um, you are not alone. And, and I, I'm as, again, as I'm sitting here and with all those waves of goosebumps that have come over me, it's because these moments have just spoken to my soul that the things that I went through in my life, I was not alone. I, I don't know anyone else in my immediate group of friends or family who also experienced the same thing, having grown up with a narcissistic parent. And so I felt very alone my whole life. And it's just now within the last, I would say like five months, really, that I have began to feel more mentally and spiritually at peace, having these soul chats with people who are resilient and overcome despite what, you know, is happening in, in their life. And, and to know that that we're not alone. We are in this together and our stories, although there are different, there are differences, of course, because we are all unique and we are all special. And with that, you know, we, there are still similarities of, of experiences based on, you know, certain things like narcissistic, you know, um, abuse. And, and so my, my final question is, you know, what would you say to someone who has a narcissistic parent that, will help them overcome and also break the cycle? Great question. You know, I always have to, you know, when I try to give advice, well, say advice, I don't like to say advice, I like to, when I share what I've learned, is probably mm-hmm. a better way to phrase it because I don't want to sound like a, you know, a guru that I have all the answers. Uh, but, I like to know where they're at in their healing journey. Mm. Um, I talk to people all the time that don't know what their mother's, you know, a narcissistic or toxic. They don't even know. They, they tell me about the fights they have with their mother. You know, just as a friend, you know, sitting having coffee. And I'm listening to them and I can't help them because they're, they're not ready to hear it. Mm. So I don't have any advice for them. If you are in the process, like maybe where you are, I am done. You know, when you were at that car at McDonald's, if somebody was at that point, then I would say, um, as your mother has a personality disease, and for the moment, to minimize your anger and your rage, pretend it was a physical for the moment. Because if you can look at it as that they can't help themselves, you now have started taking that first step which truly disengaging from that toxicity. That's why I look at, I like, I, I equate it with, I always equate person, these personality disorders with drugs and with disease 
Because when you say drug addiction, oh, they can't help it. Oh, they have a disease, they can't help it. Well, if they actually have a personality disorder, they really can't help it either. Because there's no, you know, based on my reading, there's no cure for them. So the only solution is to see that personality disorder as something that they cannot fix and that they cannot control. So therefore, you have to minimize your exposure to it. And then once I say you, they are, all, they are spiritually sick. What's the next step that you want to take so that you don't get spiritually sick or that you can spiritually heal? A lot of them would say, I just need to put some distance. And my answer would be, great idea. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I, the fact that you brought up like the drug addiction, it's, it is interesting timing because for me personally, as I've been again, learning and exploring and researching, it, it, it has occurred to me several times that, you know, there are things that again, are either well known to be like, oh, well, they can't help it. Or, oh, you know, even physical um, pain, like someone breaking a leg or whatever, those things are all visible. They're seen with the eye. And to your point, having a personality disorder is not something that is seen. And it is like a drug addiction that they cannot control their, their actions. And I will say that one thing that I did in my effort to continue coping with remaining in contact is that I finally told my mom, hey, I've been doing a lot of research. You have narcissistic personality disorder. And surprisingly, there was not like the resistance that I thought. She was like, at first she was like, well, what, you think that I'm self-centered? You know, she was bringing up what most people, when they hear the word narcissist, going back to our, you know, the beginning of our soul chat, she was like alluding to those things. But when I brought up certain specific examples, we even we even concluded that her dad has it, which again, to your point earlier, narcissists are created. It it does make sense. And, you know, as we are all going through our healing journey and taking all that you just shared, being able to recognize that they are not able to control it and to not let it affect you and your life in that way because it's something that it's it's a them problem the best way is you know and i've i've been using this mentality too that i'm like she's she has like a mental illness and it really helped me to feel better and to 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 cope and manage it better because i'm also now looking at it in that way and again these are all like more newfound um revelations so i'm I'm grateful for your sharing that because um, first and foremost, you are absolutely right about it all. And, and to, to bring it to light, again, it's, it's continuing to spread this awareness so that, you know, our listeners can really take this and, and digest it and, and be able to feel like, okay, you know what, this, they're speaking the truth. And, and now it's like, okay, so what can I do? And, and I, I really, I'm so glad that, that you shared that. Well, I it's uh, for me it's it's very true, and I I think that um I, I think uh, people in their you know therapy I think it's fantastic, and I I also you know 
wouldn't rule out just exploring, you know, life coaches who have, I would have healed from something like yourself. Because um, you, you, there's something uh, to be said about not just being clinically trained. And mm-hmm. I think therapists, you know, if you can't find a good therapist or a therapist that understands it, um, that's the first step. I think, you know, the life coaching programs from people who have uh, suffered and then healed and then took it even a step further um, to sort of be a, a leader um, in that, I think it's definitely something that should be more talked about. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad, you know, people like you are doing these podcasts and offering your, your life coaching services because... Uh, Thank you. Um, it's, it's, only, it's, only, it's, the, it's a very necessary next step. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tammy, thank you again so much. This has truly been, again, such a pleasure. And I, I look forward to reading your book because, you know, I, I want to, to get more. Um, I, I want to learn more and, and to really use your book. And so um, for those listening, um, please be sure to follow Tammy on Twitter, and I'll also have a link to her book so that you can check it out. It's on Amazon. Again, the title, The, the Stuck Stops Here, How I Broke the Cycle of Generational Dysfunction, One Aha Moment at a Time. And Tammy, are there any other um, places where our listeners can find you? Yes, my website, which actually has a list of uh, res- all the resources that I use in my journal. journal. Um, That's amazing. Is uh, com, and I have very clearly resources listed so that you can visit some of the uh, books that I've read and the websites that I use and the videos that I use on my healing journey and hope wow. that it helps you. Yep. You are such Thanks. a beautiful human. Thank you for what you are doing. <laughs> Thank you for blessing all of us with this. You are incredible. I am so grateful for you. I will have all of those links available. Please, Sam, go and support Tammy. Shower her with love. She's here to help answer questions. I, I'm so excited to read your book and would love to, you know, we could do a part two and talk more specifically about your book. Would would be honored. But this was really You got really it, Lizzie. I would love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tammy. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and tune in next week for a new topic. To help spread the good vibes, please share this episode with friends and family. Or if you share on social, be sure to tag me at Coach Lizzie. Thank you.